Hi, everyone, and welcome to this reading of the Council Bluffs Daily non This is the Wednesday, January 11th edition. It's brought to you here on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. I'm your reader today, filling in. My name is Andrew Halp. Hope you're having a great start to your afternoon, or I guess we're kind of in it by now, but uh, hope you're having a great afternoon nonetheless. As uh, we're going to take a look at the forecast here before we get into those headlines, what you can expect for uh, eastern Nebraska and western Iowa, uh, the Omaha Council Bluffs area for today, this afternoon, cloudy conditions, winds out of the north, gusting as high as 20 miles per hour, a high near 37 degrees for your Wednesday. For tonight, expect uh, cloudy conditions, blustery Winds uh, gusting as high as 29 miles per hour, low around 23 degrees. For tomorrow, your Thursday, partly sunny skies. Those winds from the north and northwest gusting to as high as 29 miles per hour. A high near 30 for your Thursday. Colder on your Thursday. Thursday night, partly cloudy, a low around 15. And Friday, sunny with a high near 32. Looking through the weekend, expect on Saturday, partly sunny skies, a high near 44. Very nice. Sunday, partly sunny, a high near 51. Can you believe it? It'll be a great day to be out and about. But again, for today, Wednesday, your afternoon, expect cloudy conditions. Those winds from the north gusting as high as 20 miles per hour, a high near 37 degrees for today. We'll take a look at the headlines here in the... Council of Bluffs daily non-parel. Pottawatomie County places bounty on dam building beavers. No, they're taking out the beavers. Uh, more on that story. Uh, Lewis Central School Board awards contract for field turf replacement. And Governor Reynolds calls for a 3.3% increase in state spending. These stories and more here on the Council of Bluffs daily non-parel reading. But first off, we're going to start it off talking about our friendly beavers and their dam building. They're their own Corps of Engineers, that's for sure. This story by David Golbitz of the uh, Don Perel. During its January 10th meeting, the Pottawatomie County Board of Supervisors approved a beaver bounty program to help mitigate damage caused by the industrious rodents construction projects. Beavers can place a lot of stress on many areas of our infrastructure, with dams preventing water to flow to designated areas, Board Chairman Brian Shea said in a press release. Pottawatomie County is responsible for maintaining many roadways and drainage ditches in our area, and some of those dams can end up causing a lot of damage, costing our county a considerable amount of money to repair. We hope this program helps in minimizing the possibility of that happening. Beaver dams can clog drainage systems, cause water to back up onto someone's farmland, sometimes as much as 10 feet deep. The county has to tear the dams out, allow the debris to dry, and then burn it. It's just one of those maintenance things. We always have maintenance on everything we do, but this is one of the ones that certainly, if we trap them and didn't have them around there, we would eliminate a lot of problems. Bernie Bolton, a commissioner with the East Pottawatomie Soil and Conservation District, said at a December 2022 board meeting, we have a beaver pull in, build a dam, we spend $1,000 to $2,500 to tear them out, and two months later, those little engineers go right back to work and build it right back again. It just seems like a waste to me and my colleagues to tear them out, and they build them back. Well, they're building them back better. Pottawatomie County will pay a $25 per beaver bounty during trapping season, which runs from November 15th to April 15th. Many counties in Iowa have their own beaver bounty programs, including Shelby County, which has been paying beaver bounties since 2012. 
To receive their reward, trappers must adhere to rules and regulations of the Iowa Department of Natural Resources and follow specific steps outlined by Pottawatomie County. Trappers will be required to complete a claim form detailing the location and date of their catch, and if applicable, provide proof of landowner permission to trap on the landowner's property. Trappers will also need to complete a W-9 form allowing the county to issue payment. Once the beavers have been harvested, the trapper must contact a park officer at Arrowhead, Botna Bend, or Hitchcock Nature Center. The park officer will confirm the harvest, send the forms to accounts payable, and a check will be issued to the participant. There are a few processes we need our participants to follow in order to make this program possible, Shea said. But we're optimistic that the added incentive we're offering will help us, as it has other counties in our area. Pottawatomie County has allocated a total of $5,000 for the program. Once those funds have been expended, there will be no more payments issued for the season. County officials plan to evaluate the effectiveness of the program this season before considering whether the program will continue in the future. So you get $200 for eight beavers. I'm not sure that's a huge bounty there. Moving on, more news from the front page here. Lewis Central School Board awards contract for field turf replacement. This story by Tim Johnson. The Lewis Central Community School District Board of Education on Monday awarded a contract for replacement of the turf on the football field to Midwest Field Turf, that company. The board chose a $543,400 option that would allow Midwest to use mostly old fill instead of a $585,700 option that would have included bringing in new fill. They will start the minute soccer is over and they'll be done by August 1st, Superintendent Brett Hosing said. Because Iowa Western Community College also uses the field, the college will pay 20% of the cost, he said. Two other bids received on the project were received on the project. Mid-American Golf and Landscape submitted a bid of $694,776 for the option of reusing fill and $702,149 for the new fill option. ProTurf submitted a bid but did not offer a bid bond as required and did not use the form called for in the specifications. Secondary students will be dismissed two hours early on Monday, January 23rd and Thursday, January 26th for conferences instead of the original one-hour hosting said. That is in response to requests for more time for both the teachers and parents, he said. Parents will have the option of talking to teachers virtually, if desired. The administration will send out a survey to parents and staff to gather input on future district calendars, Hosing said. He hopes to discover whether their priority is long breaks, such as two full weeks for winter and a full week for spring, or finishing the school year by Memorial Day. In other business, the board approved an application for a modified settlement supplemental amount of $669,323 for at-risk dropout prevention for the 2023-24 school year. If granted, it would require a local match of $223,108 from the district's general fund. Our final front-page story, our third and last Governor Reynolds calls for a 3.3% increase in state spending. 
This story by Aaron Murphy of the Gazette Des Moines Bureau, Dateline, Des Moines, Iowa. The state would spend just shy of $8.5 billion in the coming budget year, an increase of 3.3% over current spending under a proposal made Tuesday by Governor Kim Reynolds. The governor's office unveiled her budget proposal as the governor also delivered her annual condition of the state address to the Iowa legislature. Reynolds will send to those same state lawmakers her proposal for the state budget year that starts July 1st. The proposal includes $107 million for a new private school assistance program and 2.5% increases in funding for K-12 public schools, public universities, and community colleges. According to the governor's office, Reynolds' proposal would leave a $2 billion unspent balance in the state's general fund budget. Reynolds' proposed spending would break down as 56.4% going to education, 265 to health care programs, 9.5% to the state's judicial and justice systems, and 7.6% to other areas, according to the governor's office. Reynolds also proposed boosting spending on a Republican-created program for pregnant women from $500,000 to $1.5 million. When fully operational, the statewide network of nonprofits will connect women with pregnancy support services, including safety net resources, housing assistance, and recovery and mental health treatment, Reynolds said during her condition of the state address, according to prepared remarks. One noteworthy absence from the governor's budget proposal is cost associated with reductions in property tax revenue. State House Republicans have pledged to address property taxes in some form this season, but re- or rather this session, the session rather. Uh, but Reynolds is not presenting a a proposal. State lawmakers eventually will get involved in the state budget process by passing legislation. Typically near the end of the legislative session, the respective leaders in the House and Senate will work with Reynolds staff to reach agreement on the budget. Reynolds and legislative Republicans who have agenda-setting majorities in both chambers allocated $8.2 billion for the current state budget year. Moving on to page A2 now, the Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil, the story by Tim Johnson, State of Iowa to award grants for summer youth internship programs. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds on Monday announced a new round of funding that will soon be open to support summer youth internship opportunities across across Iowa. A total of $379,000 will be available for Future Ready Iowa Summer Youth Internship Program grants, which support the creation of internship programs for Iowa's youth between the ages of 14 and 24 that help prepare them for high-demand careers in the workforce, according to a press release from Iowa Workforce Development. The grants have helped support the summer internship program by offering Avenue Scholars Southwest Iowa, formerly known as Career Advantage, according to Executive Director Kara Cool Treaty. That last name is spelled T-R-E-D-E. Our organization was awarded this the past two summers, $25,000 in 2021 and $50,000 in 2022, she said. The funds were used to support over 100 students placed in paid summer internships throughout southwest Iowa. We were able to use a portion of the funding to reimburse business partners of Avenue Scholars SWI and that hosted Avenue Scholars SWI students as interns, Cool Treed said. Another portion of funds were provided to Avenue Scholars, SWI students, and internships to cover transportation-related costs. As for this coming summer, Avenue Scholars has some solidified businesses to host summer interns, and we are seeking others, she said. 
Applications for this year's Summer Youth Internship Program grants will be accepted on iowagrants.gov beginning January the 16th. The deadline for applications is February 28th at noon. One of the most important steps we can take as a state is to support our youth with meaningful opportunities that prepare them for future employment in Iowa, Reynolds said in the press release. These grants not only help our youth by exposing them to high-demand careers, they focus that support on those who may already face barriers to employment. I encourage employers, nonprofits, and eligible organizations to apply for this great opportunity. Eligible applicants for Iowa's Summer Youth Internship Program include nonprofits, educational institutions, employers, and community organizations. The target audience for participants includes high school youth who are at risk of not graduating, youth who are from low-income households, youth who are from communities underrepresented in the Iowa workforce, or youth who otherwise face barriers to success and upward mobility in the labor market. Summer internships continue to be a valuable asset for youth, as well as the employers and organizations that sponsor their workforce experience, said Beth Townsend, director of Iowa Workforce Development. We continue to support unique ways to build Iowa's pipeline. Offering this grant early in the year will help maximize opportunities for overall recruitment. Awarded funds may be used to support the following. Participant wages, a minimum of $12 per hour. Participant compensation as a result of completing the program. Training resources, i.e. curriculum, internet access, and software. Program supplies and materials, i.e. uniforms, computers, books, tools, consumable items, less than $5,000 per item. Direct transportation costs for participants and trainers. Program coordination, i.e. wages for day-to-day -day staff who directly support program participants and administrative costs limited to 10%. While not required, applicants are strongly encouraged to co-enroll summer youth internship participants with the Workforce Innovation and Opportunity Act, Opportunity Act, Title I, or Title I, however you'd say that, Title I youth program in their local area. A story by Tim Johnson here on page A2 of the Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil. Our next article, Face of the Day, as it's labeled, and it shows Peppa the dog staring at the camera thoughtfully. Peppa the dog doesn't want to sound salty, but she was hoping to find her forever home to start the new year. Peppa is a beautiful girl. Peppa is a five-year-old female puggle, an American bulldog mix who is currently available for adoption at Midlands Humane Society. Shelter staff members say she is shy at first, but she warms up to you. When she does, she becomes a happy girl that wants all of your attention. She is very treat-motivated, which will be good to help her learn as she grows with her new family. Her adoption fee is $225, which covers a microchip, altering in age-appropriate vaccines. So I can't have puppies. That's okay. The start of 2023 marked the end of the Midlands Annual Bark Friday Fundraiser, which started the day after Thanksgiving. This year's goal was $50,000, and they hit it right at New Year's Eve. The shelter thanks the local pet-loving community for their support once more. Midlands can have over 150 animals in its kennels at one time, and between medical costs, food, litter, toys, and more, it adds up. The shelter's mission is to give homeless animals a second shot at life, and they couldn't do as much as they do without the community's support. Be on the lookout for upcoming news, events, and specials. More information about fostering, volunteering, and donation opportunities can be found at 
MidlandsHumaneSociety.org or by calling 712-396-2270. Like their Facebook page to keep up with the daily shelter news. The shelter can also be found at Midlands Humane on Twitter and at Midlands Humane Society on Instagram. You know, I think my two very ornery, attention-needing, playful... Uh, stinker cats could use a puppy to play with, yes. I think that this uh, puggle, Peppa the dog, could be their new best friend if Peppa lived closer. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Release Peppa. Give those cats a run for their money. Bluffs police investigating fatal shooting of Nebraska man. Omaha World Herald wrote this. It's airing here in the, the nonpareil. Uh, it was written by Kevin Cole, authored by Kevin Cole. The shooting death of a 19-year-old Nebraska man in Council Bluffs is being investigated as a homicide. Tucker Dauberstein of Fremont, Nebraska, was found dead in a downtown Bluffs apartment building at 5.15 p.m. Sunday, the Council Bluffs Police Department reported. Officers were sent to 209 South 4th Street to investigate report a report of gunshots and found Dauberstein inside. Police said a preliminary investigation determined that Dauberstein was struck by at least one gunshot. An autopsy will be performed at the State of Iowa Medical Examiner's Office in Ankeny. Anyone with information about the shooting may call Council Bluffs detectives at 712-328-4728 or remain anonymous. They can call Crime Stoppers at 712-328-7867. Our last news story here on page A2 Walnut woman stocking stuffer yields $30,000 cash prize from the lottery. This was written by Tim Johnson. A Southwest Iowa woman won $30,000 on a scratch ticket she received as a Christmas gift. You just don't believe it, April Miller said as she claimed her prize at lottery headquarters in Clive. It was just unreal. I still don't believe I won that much. Miller, age 43 of Walnut, won the big prize in the Iowa Lottery's Merry Money Scratch Game, according to a press release from the Iowa Lottery. Her husband, Rory, purchased a ticket at Come and Go at 1709 Antique City Drive in Walnut and slipped it into his wife's Christmas stocking. Miller scratched the ticket following her family's Christmas celebration and quickly scanned it with the Iowa Lottery mobile app to confirm her win. We were screaming and jumping up and down and freaking out, she said in the press release. And then, of course, I had to call all my family. I FaceTimed them to say we won, and they didn't believe me, so I had to send them a picture of the app showing that I won. Miller said she plans to put her winnings toward home improvements, a new purse, and a tropical vacation. Merry Money was a $3 scratch game with a holiday theme. It began sales in October and ended this month after the conclusion of the holiday season. For more information about Iowa Lottery scratch games, you can visit IALottery.com. You may not want to tell all your family that you won a bunch of money. If they're like mine, they might be calling you more and getting very friendly. <laughs> they might be your new best friends. All right, moving on now to page A4. Vanilla bean paste versus vanilla extract. Uh, in the kitchen, or the kitchen, uh, spelled uh, phonetically here, K-I-T-C-H-N, the kitchen. It's a simple cookie, even when... Even better when it is homemade. So, okay, let's uh, take a look at these vanilla wafers. 
For this recipe, I recommend using vanilla bean paste. You can see the little flakes of vanilla, flecks of vanilla, in the baked cookies. Vanilla beans paste is a mixture of the vanilla bean seeds and vanilla extract combined with some sugar and a thickener to give it a thicker consistency. This ingredient is ideal when you want to highlight the vanilla flavor and see the natural flecks of vanilla bean seeds in the finished product. Vanilla extract is made by steeping vanilla beans in alcohol and sometimes water. Yes, it's that easy to make your own vanilla extract. When buying extracts at the store, make sure to use pure vanilla extract over imitation vanilla extract for the best flavor. Well, what to do with vanilla wafers? Anytime you might reach for that big yellow box with red writing, you can use these homemade vanilla wafers instead. Make banana pudding. Well, vanilla wafers and banana pudding are a classic combination that is made even better with homemade vanilla wafers. You can also make these banana pudding inspired bars or ice cream pie. Make a crust. Well, you can use these cookies in place of graham crackers for crumb crusts. You can also assemble a dessert board. Add them to a platter filled with fruit, marshmallows, pretzels, and cubed cake for dipping in chocolate fondue. Ooh, there you go. Sandwich them, yes. Whip up a batch of lemon curd or chocolate ganache, 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 G-A-N-A-C-H-E, to sandwich between a pair of vanilla wafers. Well, how long do the vanilla wafers last? You can keep the vanilla wafers in an airtight container at room temperature for up to five days. You can also freeze the baked wafers for up to one month for unbaked dough for two months. All right. That written by Patty Catalano, who is a contributor to thekitchen.com, a nationally known blog for people who love food and home cooking. Submit any questions or comments to editorial at T-H-E-K-I-T-C-H-N.com. All right, here is the uh, the recipe for this. I'm going to bring it to you. I'm going to bring it to you right now. Vanilla wafers. You can make 75 of these puppies with this recipe. So here's what you'll need: eight tablespoons or one stick of unsalted butter, one large egg, one and a half cups of all-purpose flour, uh, three quarter or three uh, yeah three yeah three quarters teaspoon baking powder, a half cup of powdered sugar. A fourth cup of granulated sugar, three quarters of a teaspoon of kosher salt, one tablespoon vanilla bean paste or vanilla extract, and one tablespoon of whole milk or heavy cream. Here are the directions. Place the butter in the bowl of a stand mixer, stand mixer, yes, or large bowl if using an electric hand mixer. Place egg on the counter. Let both sit at room temperature until the butter is softened. Meanwhile, place flour and baking powder in a medium bowl and whisk to combine. Add the powdered sugar, granulated sugar, and salt to the bowl of butter. Beat with a paddle attachment on medium speed until lightened in color and fluffy, about four minutes. Scrape down the sides of the bowl and the paddle. Add the egg, vanilla bean paste, or vanilla extract, and milk or cream, and beat on medium speed until well combined, 30 seconds to one minute. With a mixer on the lowest speed, gradually add the flour mixture and beat just until combined with no streaks of flour remaining, about one minute total. Refrigerate the dough for 15 minutes. Meanwhile, arrange two racks to divide the oven into thirds and then heat the oven to 350 degrees Fahrenheit. Line two rimmed baking sheets with silicone baking mats or parchment paper. Scoop out the dough with a quarter ounce scoop 
into about 40 portions, about one teaspoon each, place on the baking sheets, spacing them evenly apart, about 20 per baking sheet. Wet your fingers and gently flatten each cookie dough ball until one inch wide and a quarter inch thick. Bake for six minutes then. Then rotate the baking sheets between racks and from front to back. Bake until the cookies are light golden brown around the edges. That's about four to six minutes more. Refrigerate the remaining dough while the cookies bake. Then when it's all done, let the cookies cool on the baking sheets for five minutes. Transfer to a wire rack and let cool completely. Then repeat baking the remaining dough on cooled baking sheets and you can reuse the parchment. One recipe note to this, to make ahead, freeze flattened cookie dough balls until solid on the baking sheet. Then store in a Ziploc bag for up to two months. The cookies can be baked from frozen and will take one to two minutes longer after the baking sheets are rotated. That sounds really good. It reminds me of And With Your Spirits. Maybe Mary Frances will let that show come back. We used to do a lot of recipes on that show. It was a lot of fun. Uh, Patty Catalano. I hope I said her name right. It's Catalano. Patty Catalano, who is from the kitchen, who brought us this wonderful recipe. Did you know that, says she writes, uh, did you know that vanilla wafers do not need to come from a box? It's true. Vanilla wafers are simple cookies that, like many baked goods, are even better when they're homemade. These homemade vanilla wafers are petite, crisp, and bursting with a vanilla flavor that the store-bought version cannot compete with. Here's how to make the better than the box vanilla wafers. So that's what she wrote about that. Moving on now to page A5, the lifestyle section. Uh, Barbara Intermill writes on nutrition. More on the health benefits of bone broth. This should be very interesting. A recent column on the value of bone broth brought two questions. I have a friend whose daughter fell and has a jaw fracture with the medical advice that she is to have a liquid diet for six weeks. Then I just read your article on bone broth. I will tell my friend, but I wonder how long you need to boil the bones. Also, do you have recipes for other high-end nutrition formulas you mentioned? I would love to give some help to my friend and her daughter. Thank you. That from Janice M. Well, Barbara Intermill writes, I was happy to find that scientists really have studied this, Janice. In a study published in February's issue of the International Journal of Food Control, researchers in China found that the nutrient and flavor compounds of bone broth reached their maximum within 10 hours of cooking. Temperature matters, too. According to a 2018 study published in the Thai Journal of Pharmaceutical Sciences, food technologists from Thailand found that... uh, Gently boiling chicken bones at 194 to 203 degrees Fahrenheit for three hours produced a stock with more amino acids and protein-building blocks, in other words, and flavor than samples simmered for shorter periods of time. While bone broth does contain key nutrients to help heal bones, your friend's daughter also needs additional liquids that supply extra protein and calories, plus vitamins and minerals like vitamin C and zinc. Several commercial formulas are on the market that meet those requirements. I would suggest she get the uh, the advice of a nutrition professional who can guide her to a liquid formula that meets her daughter's specific needs. Just completed reading your article about the benefits of bones, boiling turkey bones in today's edition of the Village's Daily Sun in Florida. I boil bones for two hours and the article mentions you simmer overnight. 
What are added benefits of an overnight simmer? Do you simmer in a crock pot or on the stovetop overnight? More importantly, my husband is in the early stages of chronic kidney disease. No salt and a lot of water is the advice of the doc. It seems there is much more preventable info, preventive info that should be available. Your thoughts? That written by Mary L. And Barbara Intermill responds, As mentioned before, Mary, there appears to be some benefit to cooking bones for longer than two hours at lower temperatures. I simmered mine on the stove, but a crock pot on low would be a great idea as well. Regarding your husband's chronic kidney disease, there certainly is more preventive information available. I will address this topic in a future column. In the meantime, ask your medical provider to refer you to a registered dietitian with expertise in renal, that would be kidney, nutrition. This is one condition where a personalized diet is of utmost importance. That written by Barbara Intermill, who is a registered dietitian. You can email her at brbara at quinessentialnutrition.com. Q-U-I-N-N-E-S-S-E-N-T-I-A-L nutrition.com. All right, in the short time that we have here, we're not going to move on to uh, anything too substantive. I will bring you this World Bank recession, a looming threat story. This written by Christopher Rugeber of the Associated Press, Dateline, Washington. The global economy will become perilously close to recession this year, led by weaker growth in all the world's top economies. The United States, Europe, and China, the World Bank warned Tuesday. In an annual report, the World Bank, which lends money to poorer countries for development projects, said it had slashed its forecast for global growth this year by nearly half to just 1.7% from its previous projection of 3%. If that forecast proves accurate, it would be the third weakest annual expansion in three decades, behind only the deep recessions that resulted from the 2008 global financial crisis and the coronavirus pandemic in 2020. Though the United States might avoid a recession this year, the World Bank predicts the U.S. economy will eke out growth of 0.5%. Global weakness will likely pose another headwind for America's business, businesses and consumers on top of high prices and more expensive borrowing rates. The U.S. also remains vulnerable to further supply chain disruptions if COVID-19 keeps surging or Russia's war in Ukraine worsens. And Europe, long a major exporter to China, likely will suffer from a weaker Chinese economy. The World Bank report also noted that rising interest rates in developed economies like the United States and Europe will attract investment capital from poorer countries, thereby depriving them of crucial domestic investment. At the same time, the report said those high interest rates will slow growth in the developed countries at a time when Russia's invasion of Ukraine has kept world food prices high. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has added major new costs, World Bank President David Malpass said on a call with reporters. The outlook is particularly devastating for many of the poorest economies where poverty reduction is already ground to a halt and access to electricity, fertilizer, food and capital is likely to remain limited for a prolonged period. The impact of a global downturn would fall particularly hard on poorer countries in such areas as Saharan Africa, which is home to 60% of the world's poor. The World Bank predicts per capita income will grow to just 1.2% in 2023 and 2024, which is such a tepid pace that poverty rates could rise. Weakness in growth and business investment will compound the already devastating reversals in education, health, poverty, and infrastructure 
and the increasing demands from climate change, Malpass said. Addressing the scale of these challenges will require significantly more resources for development and global public goods. Along with seeking new financing so it can lend more to poorer countries, Malpass said the World Bank is, among other things, seeking to improve its lending terms that would increase debt transparency, especially for the rising share of poor countries that are at risk, a high risk, of debt distress. The report follows a similarly gloomy forecast a week earlier from Christina Georgieva, or Georgieva, head of the International Monetary Fund, the global lending agency. She estimated on CBS's Face the Nation that one-third of the world will fall into recession this year. For most of the world economy, this is going to be a tough year, tougher than the year we leave behind, she said. Why? Because the three big economies, U.S., E.U., China, are all slowing down simultaneously. The World Bank projects the European Union's economy won't grow at all next year after having expanded 3.3% in 2022. It foresees China growing 4.3%, nearly a percentage point lower than it previously forecast and about half the pace that Beijing posted in 2021. The bank expects developing countries to fare better, growing 3.4% this year, the same as in 2022, though still only about half the pace of 2021. It forecasts Brazil's growth slowing to 0.8% in 2023, down from 3% last year. In Pakistan, it expects the economy to expand just 2% this year, one-third last year's pace. And we are well past the halfway point here. That means time to check in with today's obituaries and tell you that you are listening to the Council Bluffs Daily Non-Perel Reading here on Iris, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and Print Disabled. All programs heard here on Iris are intended for the use of our listening audience. If you have any questions or concerns or want to know more, perhaps uh, call us up about a recipe that we just read here on the air or a news item or whatnot. 515-243-6833 or toll-free from across the state of Iowa. 1-877-404-4747. We need to know who is listening in order to keep our services free. We do have one, actually two obituaries here for today. The first full obituary for Shirley Jean Saar, the last name is spelled S-A-A-R. Shirley Jean Saar, age 77, passed away December 12, 2022. She was born August 2, 1945, to the late Ralph and Pauline Smith in Woodbine, Iowa. In addition to her parents, she was preceded in death by her brothers, Dwayne Smith, Merle Smith, Lyle Smith, and Neil Smith, and sister Marlene Little. Shirley is survived by her husband, Otto, daughters Kelly married to Tim Harding, and Carrie married to Tom Armstrong, grandchildren Brianna married to Bryce Koch, Brooke married to Zach Schneider, Mariah Armstrong, Abigail Harding, Joe Harding, and Thomas Armstrong III. Two new great-grandsons, Hans Thomas Schneider and Truett Timothy Koch, sisters Betty Moore and Christine Jones, brother Lester married to Shirley Smith and Stan Smith, as well as a host of other loving family and friends. Visitation will be held from 12 to 1 p.m. at Hoy Kilnoski Funeral Home on this Saturday, January 14th, 2023. Memorial service will be held at 1 p.m. at the Hoy Kilnoski Funeral Home on Saturday, January 14th, 2023. Food and fellowship to follow at the funeral home following the service. And secondly, here we uh, bring you the obituary, short obituary for Don Clausen Eldridge. Don 
maiden name Clausen Eldridge, age 49, of Neola, Iowa, passed away on Sunday, January 8, 2023. A casual gathering will be held from 2 to 4 p.m. on Sunday, this Sunday, January 15, 2023, at the Neola Area Community Center, where friends can share in fellowship and remembrance of Dawn. Iowa City death notices printed here, so we move on from obituaries to more news before we get into some sports here in just a short while. Diamond of pro-Trump duo dies at age 51. That would be Lynette Hardaway of the tremendous group Diamond and Silk. They were quite the duo there. Sisters. Um, Silk, uh, I think her name is, um, what we'll say here, what's her first name again? Silk. Diamond and Silk. With Lynette Hardaway and um, Richardson, Rochelle Richardson, thank you. Rochelle Richardson, a.k.a. Diamond and Silk, out of uh, Fayetteville, North Carolina, and uh, Rayford, North Carolina, where their parents lived, where I used to be stationed at. So, uh, all right, Diamond of pro-Trump duo dies at age 51. Sad news here. Hannah Schoenbaum is the writer for the Associated Press and Report for America, Dateline, Raleigh, North Carolina. Lynette Hardaway, an ardent supporter of former President Donald Trump and one half of the conservative political commentary duo Diamond and Silk, died, according to the pair's Twitter account. She was age 51. Hardaway, known by the moniker Diamond, carved out a unique role as a black woman who loudly backed Trump and right-wing policies, earning fame first on the internet and then as a cable television commentator. Her promotion of COVID-19... Info that wasn't agreed with by some eventually got her dropped from Fox News, but she landed on another right-wing cable platform. She and her sister Rochelle Silk Richardson, she's known as Silk, rose to prominence during the 2016 presidential campaign cycle when they appeared on stage in support of Trump, who embraced the two black women amid widespread accusations of racism and sexism. Hardaway's cause of death was not released. Trump, who called her death really bad news for Republicans in a Monday night post on his Truth Social platform, said it was totally unexpected. Our beautiful diamond of diamond and silk has just passed away at her home in the state she loves so much, North Carolina, Trump wrote. There was no better team, he spelled team, capitalized T-E-A-M, anywhere, at any time, he said. The pair's verified Twitter account asked people to please pray for Diamond in a November tweet but did not elaborate on the circumstances. The world just lost a true angel and warrior patriot for freedom, love, and humanity, the account wrote Monday night, linking a memorial fundraising page, linking to a memorial fundraising page. A memorial ceremony will be announced. The sisters who called themselves Trump's most outspoken and loyal supporters said they switched political parties to support his first presidential bid in which he carried only about 8% of black voters in the 2016 general election. He invited them to his inauguration in 2017 and later to the White House. In the introduction to their co-written autobiography, Uprising, published in 2020, the pair wrote that they faced criticism throughout the 2016 campaign cycle from people who called them sellouts and worse names as they stumped for Trump. They said their time in the spotlight wasn't planned. We were just going along with our lives as usual. Then we were thrust into this political arena, all because we dared to speak out and speak up for what we believed, they wrote. Raised in the Tar Heel State, they, to amassed a following of 
347,000 subscribers on YouTube and leveraged their internet stardom to land many network television appearances and regular roles at Fox News. The network removed them from its list of contributors in 2020 after they came under fire about spreading uh, some interesting theories on COVID-19. Twitter briefly locked their account for violating its coronavirus misinformation so-called policy after they tweeted the claim that quarantining people inside of their houses for extended periods of time will make people sick. Landing at Newsmax, a far-right cable news and digital media company, they hosted three seasons of their talk show, Diamond and Silk, Crystal Clear, which I think lately had been on Lindell TV, if I'm not mistaken. They moved from Lindet Max, or I said Lindmax, <laughs> Newsmax to Lindell TV. All right, a sad news about Diamond there. Well, we're going to move on to Capital Notebook. Reynolds appears in ad advocating school choice legislation. That's written by the Gazette Lee Des Moines Bureau. Iowa Republican Governor Kim Reynolds will appear in a new 30-second ad promoting legislation that would create state-funded private school scholarships. Priorities for Iowa, a conservative political action committee based in Des Moines, launched a six-figure ad buy across Iowa in support of Reynolds' school choice legislation. The group announced the new ad Monday featuring the governor in a classroom discussing the need to give parents more choices for their children's education. In the video, Reynolds states Iowa had increased or has increased school funding by $1 billion in the past decade. But money alone isn't the solution. Parents also need choice, Reynolds says in the ad to send their kids to whatever school is best for them, regardless of income or zip code. Iowa House Republicans have pushed back on the voucher program for the past two years over objections from rural school districts who fear the proposal would sap state aid to public schools and limit course offerings, lead to larger class sizes, and force more school consolidations. The proposal, which was a major plank of Reynolds' re-election campaign and one of her top priorities for the newly begun 2023 legislative session, would have taken about $5,360 out of the public school for each student who took advantage of the program for use at a private or charter school. That plan would have made 10,000 scholarships available to families. The plan included a provision that distributed some of the students per pupil funding to rural schools to mitigate some of the negative effects. The Iowa State Education Association, a teachers union in Iowa, criticized the ad Monday. Iowa families already have a choice in where they send their students to school, ISEA President Mike Baranek said in a statement. Iowa families do not want to use public school money or public money for private schools to pick and choose who they will admit. Private school vouchers pull critical resources from public schools, which educate 90% of our students. Iowa families choose public money for public schools. Condition of the State Address. Well, Governor Kim Reynolds was expected to deliver her annual Condition of the State Address at 6 p.m. Tuesday from the House Chambers at the Iowa Capitol in Des Moines. The ad address was aired live by Iowa PBS. Reynolds, who has been Iowa's chief executive since 2017 and is the state's first female governor, is coming into the legislative session off her second election victory. The governor's condition of the state address kicks off a series of similar addresses to state lawmakers. 
On Wednesday, Iowa Supreme Court Chief Justice Susan Christensen will deliver the condition of the judiciary address. And on Thursday, Iowa National Guard Adjutant General Ben Correll will deliver the condition of the guard address. Iowa PBS will stream Christensen's and Correll's speeches live online at iowapbs.org. I think Christensen's speech may have happened already. I think that's the morning speech. If I properly recall, last time I saw that state of the judiciary speech, it was in the morning. Reynolds awards child care grants to businesses. Well, Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds on Monday announced more than $443,000 in federal pandemic money that has been awarded to five projects involving 11 businesses in the state that will help create 77 new child slots. The money will be used to support partnerships between employers and child care centers to expand available slots. Projects awarded funding include Versova Management and Sioux Center with 15 new slots, H&I Corporation of Muscatine with 8 new slots, Mercy One Medical Center of Waterloo with 36 new slots, Siouxland DQ of Sergeant uh, and Sergeant Bluff, 10 new slots, Mason City Chamber Foundation of Mason City, 8 new slots. Grant funding provided provide aid, yes, provided to award employers will be used to fund part of the cost of child care for employees. All projects were required to provide a plan for sustainability of the outcome beyond the grant funding. The last round of funding in September created new, nearly $1,800 in new child care slots in 23 communities across Iowa, said Iowa Department of Health and Human Services Director Kelly Garcia. All right, that being read and said, we are um, nearing towards the end of the hour here, our last quarter hour or so. Why don't we bring you some of the sports that are happening here in the Council of Lusted Daily Nonpareil. Chattel says, thanks Max Duggan for representing everything Council Bluff stands for. That's written by Tom Chattel, who's a World Herald columnist. Thank you, Max, for having Kevin White's back. White was covering the Metro Conference High School track meet years ago at Burke Stadium for the Council Bluff's nonpareil. Officials asked him to leave the press box because he was covering two Council Bluff schools. Thanks, Max, for representing Bob Nielsen. Nielsen was the boys' basketball coach at Council Bluffs Thomas Jefferson years ago. They were playing Omaha West Side in the Metro Tourney at the Civic Auditorium. TJ was up at the half, and Nielsen could hear the West Side coach yelling in the other locker room to his players. Nielsen told his players to listen as the West Side coach screamed, Do you know who you're pl- we're playing? Do you know where they're from? The kids from across the Missouri River were inspired to finish off the victory. And thanks, Max, for finally getting this scribe off his duff and across the river. I thought about it Thursday as I drove across the Missouri River and onto Broadway Street in Council Bluffs. I've never done a column over here. 32 years, it's nothing against Council Bluffs. I've always been so focused on Omaha and Nebraska. Never, ever looked east. That changes now, and it's because of Max Duggan. On Monday night, Duggan will run out of the into the spotlight as the quarterback for TCU in the college football playoff national championship game. And he will take Council Bluffs with him. Boxer Ron Stander and baseball pitchers Stan Banson and John Lieber, among others, hailed from Council Bluffs. But the city has never been in the national sports spotlight like, like this. With apologies to Matt Walsh, Duggan is the new mayor of Council Bluffs. 
There have been Max Duggan billboards up in Council Bluffs and Omaha, sponsored by TCU's athletic department. ESPN came out to do a long story on Duggan and his hometown. Meanwhile, Duggan is a walking, talking billboard for his hometown. The former four-sport athlete at Lewis Central is the humble, hardworking embodiment of the town. I figured it was high time to find out what that meant. So on Thursday afternoon, I met White, Nielsen, Justin, Camrad, and Tom Hannafin at Barley's Bar on the east side of Council Bluffs. Hannafin from Omaha was a longtime mayor of Council Bluffs. Camrad from Council Bluffs played football at UNO and coached Duggan at Lewis Central. Nielsen coached track at Thomas Jefferson for more than 40 years. For almost an hour, we talked Max and what he means to his town and his people. First up, Nielsen brings up an interception Duggan threw in a state playoff game against Cedar Rapids Xavier, where Duggan ran nearly 70 yards to stop the defensive back from scoring. That was symbolic, Nielsen said, and the Kansas State with the Big 12 title game, they showed him on his hands and knees. He couldn't even breathe. That defines who that kid is. Just to watch the effort that guy puts out, they don't make them like that anymore. I know it's a cliche, but they don't. Said Hannafin, he was always a better person than he was a ball player. He took care of everybody. I brought up Duggan staying at TCU and not transferring after being demoted by first-year coach Sonny Dykes. Is that a symbol of Council Bluffs? Well, he cares more about the team and community than anything else, Camrad said. I think that's Council Bluffs, but it's also Midwest values. When you say you're going to do something, you do it. Here's an example. Duggan's recruiting process. He wasn't interested in Iowa or Iowa State because that's what everybody else did, Camrad said. He chose TCU over Ohio State, Penn State, Georgia, and Nebraska because of a fit and relationships, quote-unquote. It was never about the bright lights for him, Camrad said. Barley's began to fill up with the after-work crowd, and as I looked around the tables, I could imagine conversations were similar to the one at our table. How about Max Duggan? Where are you going to watch the game Monday night? These are hardworking people, said Hannafin, who was mayor of Council Bluffs from 1988 to 2014. A lot of them work in Omaha, but now there are people in Omaha who work over here. It's a changing landscape, but the people who grew up here are still pretty proud of this place. When you have something like Duggan happen, it unites people. Well, there are 14 replica-sized Big Ten helmets displayed above the bar at Barley's. You don't see that often in Omaha. It's a reminder that this is Big Ten country. We're always kind of looked down upon, said White, a longtime Council Bluffs resident and former World Herald sports writer. We're in the Omaha media market, and the TV stations are, are Omaha. You turn on the news every night, and the lead story is Nebraska football. There are Husker fans here, but there are a lot of Iowa and Iowa State fans. For years, Nebraska fans made fun of the Big Ten. Now they're struggling in the Big Ten. There's a satisfaction from fans here. But being from Council Bluffs apparently means the shadow extends on both ends. I'll tell you who else looks down on us and the rest of the state of Iowa, Nielsen said. It's the west side, out here in nowhere land, said Hannafin. You have to fight for every inch. I used to referee. I remember doing the Iowa State semifinals in football. A guy asked me where I was from. I said, Council Bluffs. He said, shoot, I didn't know they played football on Council Bluffs. Well, said White, 
I was a young sports writer at the non-parel at the Metro Track Meet at Burke Stadium. I'm in the press box covering AL and TJ. I get kicked out of the press box, honest to God. They didn't think that I should be in the press box covering AL and TJ. Well, Camarad was a record-setting running back at UNO and the school's first Harlan Hill finalist. He said that mentality, mentality drove him at UNO. I get pretty defensive about it because I'm a Council Bluffs guy, Camarad said. Growing up, I wanted to prove I was as good as those guys. He, he guessed that what still drives Duggan. That's what still does drive Duggan. Uh, I talked to him on Monday, Camrad said. He said, I just want people to know who we are. There's a Max Duggan banner inside a Council Bluffs hy where Duggan's sister works, White said. You see TCU shirts and sweatshirts around town. One t-shirt store sold out of the color purple. People are now going, hey, that's one of our kids, Hannafin said. That's ours. He belongs to us. We don't care if it's TCU or wherever. He stood up there and said, I'm from Council Bluffs, and I'm damn proud to be there. There's no fake in that. Said Nielsen, just because you cross the river doesn't mean the kids are different. You line them up, and you wouldn't know where they are from. Said Camarad, I think there's a feeling out there that people are just proud of this kid, and he epitomizes this town, and he's standing up for all those athletes who came just before him. They're just as good as anybody. There will be a big watch party at Barley's on Monday night. There will be watch parties all over town. Jim and Deb Duggan would love this, of course. The Duggans spent the week in Arizona after the Fiesta Bowl, Camrad said. They're the kind of folks who would be at those watch parties for someone else's kid if they weren't at the national championship watching their own son. Deb said the championship game is something we watch every year, White said. We have a party and watch it. To be in that game is something we can't grasp. Duggan himself would probably be at Barley's watching the game if he weren't so busy trying to win it. That's Council Bluffs. That's Omaha. That's us. Aren't we all Max Duggan fans? Well, anybody from Council Bluffs is going to be a TCU fan on Monday night, White said. Iowa fan, Iowa State, Nebraska, Oklahoma, whether you met the guy or not. Nielsen then leaned forward. If you're not rooting for him, you're not human, he said. You're not even alive. This old river town will be alive Monday night like never before. All right. That story there. Why don't we read a short one here? Hawkeye's Gallery Gets College Hall Call. It's written by Steve Batterson of the Quad City Times, airing here in the Council Bluffs Daily non This is our last story before we wrap it up. An Outland Trophy-winning lineman who helped lead the Iowa football program to some of its greatest successes during Coach Kirk Ferentz's 24-year tenure is a Hall of Famer. Former Hawkeye offensive lineman Robert Gallery was named Monday by the National Football Foundation as a member of the 2023 College Football Hall of Fame induction class. The 11th Iowa player to be selected to the College Football Hall of Fame Gallery lettered as an offensive tackle with the Hawkeyes from 2000 to 2003, earning unanimous consensus All-American recognition as a senior, in addition to winning the Outland Trophy presented to the top offensive lineman in college football. The first-team All-Big Ten selection who was named as the conference's offensive lineman of the year as a senior in 20, or 2003, the Masonville, Iowa native, moved into the lineup for the final six games of his freshman season. He went on to help the Hawkeyes to a 28-10 record during his final three seasons, 
part of a 2001 team which averaged 32.6 points per game on its way to an Alamo Bowl victory over Texas Tech. Gallery anchored the offensive line on a 2002 team which shared the Big Ten Championship with Ohio State with a perfect 8-0 league, league record and set a school record with 11 victories. That team, quarterbacked by Heisman Trophy runner-up Brad Banks, averaged 37.2 points. As a senior, Gallery helped lead an Iowa team which finished ranked 8th nationally for a second straight season to 10 victories, including a 37-17 win over Florida in the Outback Bowl. Named as the most valuable player on the 2003 Iowa team, Gallery was taken by Oakland Raiders with a sec the second pick in the opening round of the 2004 NFL Draft. He went on to play eight seasons in the NFL for Oakland and Seattle, starting 103 of the 104 games he played at the professional level. Previously named to the Iowa Letter Winners Club, Hall of Fame, and the America Needs Farmers Wall of Honor at Kinnick Stadium, Gallery is one of 18 players and four coaches selected to this year's Hall of Fame class. The group has just one other Big Ten player, Wisconsin defensive back Troy Vincent, as well as quarterbacks Michael Bishop of Kansas State and Tim Tebow of Florida, USC running back Reggie Bush, and Notre Dame linebacker Michael Stonebreaker. The entire Hall of Fame class will be officially inducted at the National Football Foundation's Awards Dinner in Las Vegas on December 5th, and each member will be honored individually on their college campus during the fall. Well, with all that being read and said in this reading of the Council of Us Daily Nonpareil, we bid you adieu. This is Iris, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. I've been your reader today filling in. My name is Andrew Halp. And we thank you so much for listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. It's been great to be here, great to be with you. Thanks for listening. Have a nice day and straight ahead.